the question that we're always trying to ask ourselves is like, is the content that we're creating relevant to the moment? Hey, my name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. Since the recording of this episode that you're about to hear, Ladder Sport has been acquired by OpenFit. OpenFit is one of today's fastest growing digital fitness and nutrition platforms. And in this episode, you'll learn how the entrepreneurs at Ladder Sport establishes brand identity to increase the perceived value of their brand and to charge a higher price point, how they decided what kind of information should be and should not be present on each page of their website, and what is it like to run a business that involves huge celebrities like LeBron James and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Before our show, I wanted to chat about the storefront signage maker. It's an easy way for any brick and mortar shop owners to let your customers know that you are open, available for curbside pickup, delivery, online information, and more. Customize any message you like, automatically create a QR code for your store, then print it off from home. It's easy and simple to use, no design experience required. Create a sign yourself at shopify.com slash signage. Today, I'm joined by Luke Droulet from Ladder. Ladder is a sports nutrition company dedicated to creating high-performance NSF certified for sports workout supplements for daily use. And was started in 2018 and based out of Los Angeles, California and generates millions in revenue. Welcome, Luke. Hi, thanks for having me on. So the idea behind the business came from a need that LeBron James had. So tell us more about that need and the, the origins of the business. The origins of the brand can be traced back to 2014. Uh, during the NBA Finals, LeBron James experienced issues with cramping. And I think following that season, he teamed up with Mike Mancy as his trainer to identify protein powders in the market. To you know, He hadn't taken a lot of supplementation up until that point. You know, that the diet was there generally, the exercise was there, and obviously the work ethic and skills. And so, you know, when they surveyed the market, they weren't able to find a protein powder that, you know, suited their needs in terms of purity, performance, and safety. So at that time, they then worked to create their own. So brought in a team of scientists and experts and, you know, produced the first products of Ladder over, you know, the next couple of years, which were protein and pre-workout. Through connections, longtime friend Arnold Schwarzenegger became involved in the business as well. You know, he's a seven-time Mr. Olympia and huge advocate for both health and fitness and had experience in the past working with supplement brands, but also ex- saw firsthand, you know, the issues that can occur within the space because things aren't fully FDA regulated. You can make a lot of claims without necessarily having to back it up. And so, you know, when he saw what LeBron was doing in terms of the initial ladder products, he was really excited to, you know, get involved and be a part of a brand that aligned with his, you know, interests and his also advocacy. And so with that, you know, built out the next product, which was greens, like a superfood greens everyday product. And all of that came together when the brand launched in November of 2018. So at what point were, did you get involved in, in the business? Yeah, um, I became involved with the ladder business in September of 2019. So a little less than a year after it started as the co-CEO. Awesome. And what's your what's your background? Yeah, my background is uh, before ladder, I worked at Parachute, the home essentials brand, also based out of LA for nearly six years. So I was the first employee and was with the company in various roles and most recently as the CMO. 
So I, I think what was fortunate in that experience is I got to see everything that went into building a business from scratch in terms of you know building customer-centric processes, where to invest across operations, marketing and tech. And it's been great kind of taking those experiences and those opportunities and applying them to ladder, you know, getting the ability to start closer to the beginning and being able to shape those elements of the business. Mm. Can you say more about that? I think a lot of the, the listeners out there are probably in this stage where they're they're just beginning. If someone that's had this kind of experience at a much larger stage, what are some of the, the kind of key skills or attributes or practices even that you brought over from Parachute over to Ladder? I think the big things where it's like having a clear sense of the brand identity. I think Ladder is similar to Parachute where the product is really great. Um, you know, before I joined the company, I started using it before my early morning workouts, before bike rides, runs, weightlifting sessions. And, you know, I could tell it made a difference. It was really cool to see the, you know, the traction that the company already had within professional sports teams and athletes. And so for me, you know, what, the big thing I learned from Parachute was the, the idea of building community and, you know, telling a, a story around a, a really high quality product. Um, you know, Ladder is a more premium brand. And so as a more premium brand, it's important that we really focus on all the different ways in which we can help customers along their journey. You know, from the first time they hear about us, which could be through our founders, Arnold and LeBron, it could be through our athletes, our ambassadors, up until the point that they purchase. And, you know, for our subscribers, ensuring that, you know, deliveries are on time, the packaging and unboxing experience is good, and that the product quality experience is consistent throughout their um, time being a customer. Mm, okay, couple couple great things you said there. I want to dive into. So you mentioned first about brand identity. So can, can you give us, I guess, your definition, your explanation of what uh, what brand identity means? Yeah, I, I think um, you know ultimately, product market fit is everything. And so you know, for ladder, the additional, the higher quality ingredients, the third party certifications, the you know, the way that we manufacture the product tends to cost more. And I think because of that, it is for a more premium audience. The, the, the shoppers are a little bit more sophisticated. They're more knowledgeable about the supplement space and the nutrition space. And I think it's important for us to know that it, at one hand, they know a lot, but on the other hand, they're also inundated with new information all every day. And so when it comes to communicating with that customer, we have to use the right balance of you know, statements that validate their previously held beliefs, as well as you know, information and education that adds new dimensions to their knowledge. You know, we want to be mm-hmm. that trusted source of content and products that fits within their already, you know, regimented diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned um, education. Is this more important when you do have a more premium product? Is that what you're finding? Yeah, I, I would say so. You know, every, you know, you mentioned it in the intro, right? NSF certified for sport. You know, only 1% of supplements are NSF certified by sport. And what that means for your listeners is that every single batch of our product is tested to ensure that there's no toxins, banned substances, or heavy metals. Um, and more importantly, that everything that is on the ingredient list is actually in the product. And it's kind of surprising to hear it the first time you do. But for us, you know, getting more people to understand how important NSF for sport is, is great. You know, you don't have to be a professional athlete to care about what you put in your body. And increasingly, consumers want to know, it's like, what farm is this from? What, you know, who's behind these products and who's making them? And, you know, what makes them special and unique? And so, you know, we found it really important to go that extra mile to explain that 
because you know at the end of the day we sell supplements we don't sell substitutes our products are meant to take what you're doing and make it better got it now how do you how do you find ways to educate the customer about you know relatively technical things that details they might not be aware of how, how do you how do you find ways to educate them on those 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 pieces yeah it's a good question I, I think it kind of depends on the the customer needs you know certain people will reach out via customer support and we do have live agents who help with chat with phone calls and with emails um, people ask questions a lot on social whether it be DMs or comments and so it's kind of meeting the customer wherever they are you know for some they they'd rather just know that there is a resource so for us it was going beyond an FAQ and building out our blog you know we have over 50 pieces of content on our blog and looking to always expand that knowledge base so that you know anybody can access it whether or not they are a ladder customer I think one of the easiest ways to build trust with people is to demonstrate that you know about the the product space or the product environment and that you care about it I think that passion translates into more passionate customers got it now how do you kind of get this feedback or calibrate that you're doing enough you're doing the right things to establish the kind of brand identity that you want through things like you mentioned higher quality ingredients third-party certification how do you know that those are the things that are or how do you know that those that messaging is getting clear to to your customers over time yeah you know it, you can do it a couple ways I think obviously speaking to your customer is always great so it's like the direct ways in which we solicit feedback is you know CSAT, customer satisfaction score. Every time somebody has an interaction with us, we ask for that feedback. Um, product reviews, every time somebody buys one of our products, we ask for their candid feedback. And that has allowed us to make you know changes as we see fit. Um, we look at metrics around ship times, like are our products being delivered in a timely manner. And then you know we've done in-person tasting for new flavors, for existing products. We've done events and activations. Obviously, this was pre-COVID in terms of you know, just seeing how people are interacting with the product and the brand in more native environments, you know, asking all the pro teams that we work with, you know, what they think about the product. I think being engaged, you can use surveys, you can use reviews, and then oftentimes the most valuable feedback you'll get is just in speaking to the customer themselves. Got it. Now, when you do speak to your customers, how what kind of what kind of questions do you ask? What kind of questions have you found most valuable to give you direction when it comes to to the next steps for your business? When it's in an interview context, I think you know you have to adhere to best practices where there's no bias being introduced into the question. So generally, we try to ask either questions that you can answer very simply, yes or no, or questions that are more open ended. Uh, you know, obviously, when it comes to Structuring that data becomes a little bit harder, but at the end of the day, if it's really about having the people to sit there and listen and kind of take in the information and then kind of communicate it to the rest of the team. Got it. Now, when you came into to the, to the role, what were some of the biggest changes that you were most excited to, to start implementing? Uh, I think the big ones are just really leaning into our identity as a sports nutrition brand. I think given the performance and the pedigree associated with the brand you know you have these the founders of these two peak performers you know knowing the certifications the ingredients and who is using the product for me it was it was clear that like there that's where the white space existed i think what's been interesting as the brand has grown and as we're kind of starting to gain more traction is seeing 
ways in which we can communicate with people who are, you know, not necessarily doing a sport. You know, it's like if I'm a CrossFitter, if I do run, if I, if I run, if I swim, if I'm a triathlete, like our products for, fit perfectly within those needs. Or if you have different goals like weight loss or maintenance, you know, ladder, just because a product is designed and formulated for pros doesn't mean that you, you're withheld from using it. If anything, you know, when somebody uses Nike Pro equipment or when they use, you know, when you wear LeBron's, right, it's to elevate your game. You know, sometimes it's for style, but when, when it comes to the like, technical apparel, the reason that whole space has exploded is people want to be able to perform at the highest level no matter what level they're at. And if you kind of think about your health and fitness journey as almost a ladder, you know, we want to support and get you to that next level. Once you get to one rung, it's like we support you so you can get to the next one. Um, and so I think that's that's the exciting part is having a brand that can equally appeal to someone who is at the absolute top of their game but and someone who is like really starting to invest in that journey. Yeah, that's a good point about how when you are creating a product that is premium, that is meant to improve the performance of pro athletes, how do you... Get, I guess get through that objection that a more general or a, a a market that's expanded beyond your kind of initial market where they might be like, oh, I'm not a pro athlete. I'm not doing anything crazy. Like, what do I need this stuff? Like, how do you kind of get that message across that if it's working for a pro athlete, of course it is going to work and improve your performance as well. How do you kind of bridge that almost objection that, that, that you may face as, that you may face with customers? It really comes into the education. I think making people understand that. And so like, for example, this year we kicked off the new year with a campaign called rituals over resolutions. And it was really all about mindset where we interviewed professional athletes, entrepreneurs, nutritionists, you know, fitness and health gurus, like every, like the whole gamut trainers. And we didn't say like, how do I become you? but rather how do you set goals and like how do you approach overcoming obstacles and challenges and and um i think people really liked that that content resonated because you know a lot of the hard work is just getting into a routine you know it's like getting to a point where working out isn't a chore or like exercise in any form whether it be yoga pilates whatever it is that it's something that you look forward to. It's something that motivates you. It makes you happy, you know, the endorphin rush. Because when you kind of get into that, you know, flow state, that's when our products kind of come in and help you get even more out of that. And especially right now, right, where people are at home, you know, we're trying to encourage people to say it's like, you know, if you only have 30 minutes, like how can we help people with stretches or with workouts that are easy to do with the items around you because it's like the context is changing and we have to be able to adapt and change the in order to kind of go with it be with the times right and you mentioned this earlier about how you want to become like a trusted advisor and you mentioned you know education and content especially with the this campaign rituals over resolutions how do you determine what is the content strategy what kind of content to to produce to to attract and build this community of of you know potential customers yeah a lot of it is set by what is going on at a, a broader level you know what, if sports are going on inherently, there's going to be more content that you can produce around those ecosystems. 
you know, not only athletes, but the trainers they work with, the nutritionists they work with, and you know, the physical therapists they work with. Uh, you know, but when sports weren't at the forefront of people's consciousness, it's it's more so like you know, starting at the home. And it's like, what are things you can do at home that are easy and safe and still effective? Or for us, you know, it's like our protein product when you mix it with greens is like a pretty good meal replacement. So it's like, if you want like a super nutritious shake, that's not going to be hard on your waistline, thinking about ways in which you can incorporate our product into like cooking and baking and easy snacks and pre-workout and post-workout kind of routines. I think a lot of that is, is really important because, you know, at the end of the day, it's like people's behaviors are changing, right? You would used to have to go into an office and if you were going to go into an office, then you'd have to wear certain apparel. Or if your workspace was remote, maybe it's more of the same for you, you know, or if you used to have to commute somewhere, it's like, what happens when you no longer have that commute? Can you take that time and reinvest it in yourself or are you putting it elsewhere? I think we try to be conscious of the fact that like everybody's in different situations right now. You know, some people are in cities, some people have a little bit more space, you know, some people have families and, or other Mm -hmm. types of obligations. And it's like, how are we, is the question that we're always trying to ask ourselves is like, is the content that we're creating relevant to the moment? Mm. And you, you talked to us about this um, pre-interview where you mentioned that flexibility is a really important aspect of, of success with the, with the business and you ought to be able to pivot and react quickly. So, you know, COVID being an example and the example you're giving so far relates to that. So tell us about how you guys are able to maintain this this flexibility to adapt and make sure that the content you're creating is as relevant to the context, the, the, the times essentially. Yeah, I, you know, we're we're fortunate. We have a pretty lean, nimble team, and we work with some pretty great freelancers and agencies. So, people are, I think, they're comfortable with the idea. It's like we're at a startup, and the part of the fun, really, in being here is that ability to make changes and quickly and react to your environment before it becomes a bigger or more widespread issue. I I can remember. In the middle of March, you know, it was clear that things were not going to continue as expected. So we had an all hands meeting and kind of initiated that conversation where it was like, okay, we're all going to work remotely. There is no pressure to come into the office. We're going to have to obviously do things differently because we have to run the business in as lean of a manner as possible. And we're not going to maybe get access to things like big creative shoots or you know, marketing events and activations, like we're going to have to change the way that we do business because customers, our customers and where they're going to be are, is going to change. Um, you know, I think similar things happened in June where it was thinking about what was going on, you know, increasingly athletes are using their platforms for good and for social good. And it's like, how are we aligning our brand with that of our founders and with other athletes and ambassadors to make sure that we or on brand and on message, you know, we're, we're not pretending that I think that, you know, the biggest thing we want to avoid is pretending that things are normal and that cut consumers behaviors are normal because, you know, I can understand if, if you have to make adjustments in your life, like, you know, our products might be one of the products that you cut back on. But I think, you know, what we think about is 
for us, health and fitness is vital, almost independent of context. And it's like helping people support those journeys in spite of everything that's going on is, is kind of where we, we like to be. Mm. And tell us more about the, the kind of content creation system that you have. Like what are the, the channels that you distribute your content? Yeah, you know, I, I, on our site, as I mentioned, it's our blog. And then we kind of use social media as a way to amplify blog content. So it's like you'll find it on Instagram, Facebook, at times LinkedIn and Twitter, and put it in our newsletters that we send out each week, as well as any kind of emails that you'll get as a part of onboarding into the brand. We're looking for ways to incorporate it more into the customer service experience in terms of like, hey, you reached out about this. Like, why don't you read out this useful article? It will be can kind of give you more context on the response that I'm giving you. I think ultimately, you know, it is an opt-in thing. Not everybody wants a multiple paragraph response as to the question that they're answering. But it, we like to uh, pr- provide that additional depth for those who seek it. Got it. And do you have like a team that works on creating the content, like the blog? Because it sounds like it's the blog content is the main source of content. Then everything that spills out to social media is all intended to drive back towards the blog, or or site. I think it's it's the it's dependent on the messaging goals. Like if you look at our social feed, sometimes it points to the blog, sometimes it points to product pages, and then sometimes the content on social is just meant to live on social. You know, I think it's a fair expectation that like if you're scrolling through Instagram you may not want to leave Instagram. And so it's like, what kind of content can we create around workouts where you stay within that kind of ecosystem? So I, I think it, it varies. You know, it's like the, the, destin- the landing page or the destination, if you will, is very much dependent on the creative and the messaging goals. I think, obviously, you always want to drive people back to site, but you also have to be cognizant of, like, does it make sense in light of the, the nature of the content. Because in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. we're equally as interested in content that can stand on its own and doesn't need to have an, a destination. You know, it's like if you could learn something new and interesting and kind of continue about your day, you know, that's a positive brand interaction. And I think the goal is over time, you build up enough of those positive brand interactions that, you know, someone will be willing to potentially buy from you. Mm. Yeah, I think there's a conundrum that a lot of, especially smaller teams, maybe even solo founders run into, which is that there's just so many places they can they can create content on their blog, on social. Do you drive from social to the blog? Is it a post? Is it a story? How do you guys think about that? How do you determine what should stand on its own, what can stand on its own on social, on your Instagram, for example, versus trying to drive them back to to the site? Yeah, I think it's just aligning on like what your KPIs are. Like, How are you going to measure success with what you're doing? And therefore, like, does it make sense relative to the content that you're producing? So it's like, for me, it's working with the different teammates to, to figure out, like, you know, when we post this or when we do this, what's the end goal? You know, in, in cases where it's building community or building deeper connections, deep, deeper brand relationships, the KPIs are going to be different than if it's like, you know, get someone onto a product page and get them to buy Makes sense. When ter- in terms of things that um, are most likely to lead to a conversion, what's that kind of funnel? What, kind, what does that kind of flow look like? Is it from social to a blog to then buying? What, what, what typically works for you guys? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you know, every time we've looked into it, there's not like a, a magic formula per se. I think there's, 
you know, certain for certain people, the gateway into the brand is our founders. You know, they they see Arnold and LeBron talking about it, or maybe it's our brand ambassadors. They see Alex Toussaint or Beck Wilcock or you know, Johnny Hooper talking about the brand, and then they want to learn more. It could be any of the network of you know affiliates that we work with. Um, it could be a press piece about the brand, uh, and then really from there, it's it's almost like depending on what they do on site. I want to try and help that customer with whatever their next step is. It's like maybe you're not ready to buy. So then for us, the goal is maybe get you to join our email list, or maybe you know for someone who's definitely in market what do you need to know about this product or what do you need to know about the brand in order to purchase? You know, if you're comparison shopping, what are your hangups and like, how can I address those pain points in your life? So I, I, you know, it's like depending certain like comparison shoppers, maybe the blog articles are useful or maybe you can get enough information on our product page where that's okay for people who are subscribed to email. You know, we test different types of content so then we can learn like, okay, for these, the you know, for certain days of the week, certain content's going to do better than others, uh, and so we're going to you know increase as the list grows. You can segment and personalize. I think we're the ultimate goal for I think any brand is personalization, and for us, it's, we're we're continuing to learn about these kind of different consumer preferences and kind of bucketing customers into these bigger groups in terms of where they're at and their purchase journey. Mm. So speaking of personalization, it sounds like what you're talking about is also like segmentation. What are the kind of um, segments that you, you like to kind of break things up into? I mean, I think it's the, it's kind of the big ones that you always will hear in terms of awareness, consideration, and then purchase. You know, if somebody's in the awareness stage, the biggest thing that I want them to know is that Ladder is a, a supplement brand or a sports nutrition brand that sells premium Protein, superfood greens, pre-workout, and hydration, um, and then as well as you know produces content from experts for you know consideration. It, it depends what angle they're coming in, but it's just as I mentioned, addressing specific pain points, whether it relates to the products or any element of the brand that they want to learn more about. You know, some people want to know why it's called Ladder, or some people want to know how the founders became involved or some people want to know more about NSF certified for sport. You know, what do these things mean? Um, and so we're kind of there for that. And then for purchase, I think that's the more kind of boilerplate stuff. You know, you know that somebody's going to buy or wants to buy, you know, at that point, what, what is that final thing to get them over the hump? Or is it just knowing that they're going to purchase and just kind of letting them, make that decision on their own because mm-hmm. you know the, you everybody's reached that point where they buy something and then they end up getting retargeted by that brand after they bought something with ads and i think we try to avoid those situations where you know you've already taken the leap you've already made that purchase and yet it still feels like we're trying to get you to do more and so that's kind of what i try to focus on got it so is this kind of segmentation, is this easiest through email or are you, are you doing this through like ad, paid advertising? It, it can happen across the board. I don't, I don't think it, 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 it's really a matter of defining 
why somebody would fit in that bucket and what are the key KPIs within each of those buckets. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. Got it. Now, let's, I guess let's talk about email specifically. When someone is in like this awareness stage, what kind of emails are you sending them? Uh, a lot of it is just, I think you always want to give somebody a sense of the kind of content that they can expect if they were a customer or if they stay on the newsletter. So for us, it's a lot of the content that you'll find on our blogs where it's like recipes, nutrition, fitness, lifestyle, health, you know, athlete profiles. Mm-hmm. I think those are kind of like the main buckets. And you'll kind of see that throughout all of, you know, on organic, social, very similar things. We, we know that, as I said, right, the best, to know that you're getting the most out of the supplements you take, you have to consider the other factors in your life. Because it could be, it's like, you know, just because you take ladder protein doesn't mean you are going to gain muscle as quickly as you want to, or lose fat, or maintain your weight, or beat your PR, or set new goals with endurance. You know, it's like all, it's really the outcome is defined by the individual. And we just try to help people achieve that outcome in terms of pointing them in where we see is the right direction in those different content buckets. Got it. So once they have made a purchase, you, have you found ways to, because I think a product like yours obviously is, a product lines like yours will certainly encourage repeat purchasers, but do you do certain things to try to incentivize or move that further along to get repeat purchases from existing customers? Yeah, I mean, for, for subscribers, it's just making sure that they remain happy. Honestly, for um, I think for people who like to buy a la carte, you know, when it suits them, it's kind of teaching, giving them best practices in terms of using that product. You know, sometimes showcasing other products that they might like. Um, those tend to work quite well. I, you know, it's it's one of those. I think the hard thing with personalization is just not over not trying to over-personalize if you don't have the data to do it. You know, everybody wants mm-hmm. to have that perfect email that has everything you would, you know, expect a customer to want. But you also don't want to run into situations where like someone gets an email in their inbox and it says like, hi, first name, or it's sharing content that's completely off topic. Um, so I think, it, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a constant state of improvement. There isn't like a, I think we're getting better at segmenting. We're getting better at personalizing, but it's it's something that we're, we'll always continue to work on because it you know you're always getting more information about your customers directly or indirectly, and I think tr- the goal is to try and use that in ways that are helpful because at the end of the day, you know you are your own customer. I get emails. I buy products from other brands. I shop at retailers. Shop online. I've shopped in person. You know, it's like you, you're exposed to a lot of the same tactics that you yourself are using. And so I, I think at the end of the day, the big thing we always ask ourselves is, you know, how would I feel if I was the end user or the end consumer? Mm, makes sense. Now, when you have, when you're developing new products, talk to us about that. How do you guys decide what's the next product line to add, product to add to the product line? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think it's working with our suppliers, with our, with our experts to figure out and then also with our customers to 
see like what's happening at an industry level, what's happening at like a macro level. Is there any new science or research that we can incorporate either into our existing products or into new products? And, you know, what are consumers saying? You know, as I mentioned, product reviews, in-person interviews, where, where are the places that we can either, you know, make our products better or introduce new product variants or introduce new products altogether? I think that's, that's kind of how we look at it. And then making sure that we have enough time to, you know, make the product fit with our quality standards. You know, we, because we're a sports nutrition brand and not like a protein brand or a greens brand, or we don't want to be known by one product, but rather all, the quality of all of our products. And so we try to strict, stick to pretty strict standards there. Got it. So when you do, when you, once you start going down this process of product development, is there kind of any market testing going on? How do you determine if you are going the right direction with any new products that you're releasing? Yeah, we, you know, we start internally in terms of like taste testing and trying the product out in situation. And then we'll usually expand it in terms of like bringing in our, you know, people within our network. And then from there, once it kind of clears those hurdles, we'll open it up to more, you know, consumer testing and kind of use use that feedback to inform what moves we make. Got it. And, and then when, and I guess on a day-to-day basis or even just like company-wide strategy, how involved is LeBron and, and Arnold in the business? It's a good question. I mean, they're very passionate about the business. We have you know, either weekly or bi-weekly calls with people on their team, you know, we're in the heart of the NBA season. So it's like LeBron's focused on winning a championship with the Lakers. And we understand and appreciate that as a Lakers fan, I'm excited for watching that quest. Um, and so I think the good news is they have, they're incredibly savvy. They care about the product. They've, you know, they've built businesses, you know, independently and together. And so it's like, they're great sounding boards in terms of high level strategic decisions that we need to make and in getting to work with their respective teams, we, we get a good insight into what they're looking for, what they want and making sure that, you know, as we continue to build the brand, they're happy with the direction that we're going in. Yeah. Speaking of, you know, working with LeBron and Arnold, and you also mentioned you have brand ambassadors as well. For anyone out there that has a similar business model where they have brand ambassadors, what are some of the kind of best ways to to almost like use them as sounding boards or as resources to give guidance or direction for a company? Yeah, good question. Well, I think it starts with like making sure that your brand ambassadors like the product and the brand, you know, independent of any kind of sponsorship deal. I think we're really fortunate that people that we work with believe in the vision of the brand. And again, like use the similar to LeBron and Arnold, use the product on a daily basis. Like it's so it, it feels less of a like an endorsement or like some kind of like influencer play and more like a partnership. And we kind of think of it that way. It's like look for partners. Like who are people that you want to still be working with in at one year, two years, three years, four years? And you know, different brand ambassadors are gonna have different size profiles at the time that you work with them. But, you know, think about it as like a longer term, through the lens of a longer term relationship. Like who are the people that you think that you want to invest in their brand and they want to invest in yours? Because we found that the people, we've been fortunate to work with people, you know, like Alex Toussaint or Beck Wilcock, 
who you know are passionate about our success and we're passionate about theirs. And so it's a lot easier to do photo shoots or video shoots with them because, or even, you know, Mike Mancius, LeBron's trainer has been huge brand advocate and hugely passionate about the brand. And it, it just makes working with them that much easier. Makes sense. So We'll talk a little bit about the, the website. Was this built uh, in-house or did you hire an agency to, to build out the, the Ladder.Sport website? Yeah. Uh, initially, it was built by an agency, but increasingly, we, we've brought those capabilities in-house. It was because you wanted to make certain customizations or it can be more agile with the, the website? Yeah. I, I think uh, you know, as with a lot of things that are brand-centric, the people that represent your brand and generally we'll tend to know more about the little like the ins and outs of it. And so, you know, we like the idea of bringing in our like core competencies in house. And so I think we're fortunate that our, our tech team is tiny, but mighty in terms of what they're able to do. And I think they very, they do a good job of blending the art and the science when it comes to what our brand should look and feel like, and then trying to use the data to figure out what are the next steps are. That makes sense. Have there been any changes or adjustments you've made to the site recently, like during testing or anything that have made a big impact on on in improving conversions? Uh, I mean, I think the big ones were, you know, in some of their earlier days of my tenure in terms of fig thinking about, you know, what information needs to be on every level of the site. You know, it's like what information should be on the homepage, what information should be on like PLPs or the product listing pages, what information should be on PDPs. Um, the about page, you know, telling that origin story the right way. And then within the blog, and it's like thinking through like how do these pieces fit together and then using the data from like Google Analytics to figure out like how are people navigating through the site, where are potential choke points and, you know, how are you going to address those potential choke points? Makes sense. So let's talk more about this. So when you mentioned, I think, I think the most common kind of flow that a lot of listeners might be might have on their website is the homepage, their product listing page, and then the product description page. And you mentioned what kind of information should be on each of those levels. Can you say more about that? What have you learned about what should or what shouldn't be on the homepage, for example? Well, yeah, the, the homepage is basically your storefront, right? So we like to think about it in terms of like, if you just heard about Ladder or maybe saw an ad or like independent of how you got there, you know, does the homepage allow you to get the high level information about what you need to know about the brand? And then in a lot of cases, more importantly, direct you to where you need to go. And so that I think that's been kind of a guiding principle in terms of how we design that specific page. You know, for a lot of companies, your homepage is your most heavily trafficked landing page for marketing. And so it's like, how are you going to design it accordingly? Makes sense. Now, what about the product listing page? How do you decide what goes on there? So that, you know, it's like, that's a level deeper. I think we're fortunate. We have a pretty simple assortment. Um, and that's by design. You know, we curated, there, there's so many you know, thousands of products, maybe even hundreds of thousands of products in the supplement space on product aisles, whether it be digital or in person. For us, like simplicity was the key. So it was kind of showing what the, products or product combinations were, and then just giving enough information so that if you were to click on any of them, you know what to expect when you land on that product page. Makes sense. And then yeah, on the product page, what, what, what kind of things have you either added or removed from there that made a big difference? I think just 
making sure that the product page had enough information to answer different levels of questions. You know, at its basic level, a product page needs to be like, what is that product? How much does it cost? And then how can I purchase it? So for us, you know, you can buy our product in multiple flavors, in bags, and in packets. You could subscribe or buy at one time. And so like, that's your base level. That's the most important information we need to communicate because that's the thing that will kind of narrow down a lot of purchase-making decisions. And then from there, it's like what answering relevant questions around, as I mentioned, like certifications or flavor and taste or you know, obviously product reviews are really important for a lot of people. Just having those content blocks available. And then for us, it's, it's testing the ordering. It's testing the, the, the language within any given section. It's just, you know, continuously, it, like with everything, you know, you can ask consumers and they'll give you a certain amount of information. But we also like to test things and kind of, you know, if we make certain decisions for a consumer, if we change the way that they see it, does their exhibited behavior match what they say? You know, there's what you're going to do. It's what you do and versus what you say you're going to do. And a lot of the testing that we do on our site is in relation to those two ideas. Makes sense. What about the apps that you use for the website? Are there any apps or tools that you rely on? I think the one nice thing about working with Shopify is the app ecosystem is pretty robust. So, you know, over the life of the brand, there's been a lot of different apps that they've used and for different things. I think, you know, we've enjoyed working with Klaviyo for email. Um, we use Privy for email capture. So that's created a nice loop in terms of that flywheel. Um, you know, Google Analytics is still really important for us for user behavior and for just seeing general site analytics. Um, we use Recharge for recurring orders. So those are kind of like the the workhorses. And then, you know, where where we've seen fit, we've tried to customize things and build them in-house. Awesome. So the website is ladder.sports. And I'll leave with this last question. What what are some of the kind of big goals that you want to achieve this year with the business? I think yeah, just getting more people to know about it and kind of helping more people in their health and fitness journey. I think this has been a very unique year. And I think it's especially important within the customer, you know, the company's original mandate to kind of deliver on that promise, you know, whether or not they're sports, whether or not the way that you exercised or played or, you know, did exercise has changed. Like Ladder is here to support you um, with expert advice, premium products, and kind of a, a community that's equally passionate about you know, what they do. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your experience, Luke. Thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.